My guest today on the Classical Post podcast is singer, cellist, and composer Ayanna Witter-Johnson, who makes her debut at Madison Square Garden as part of Andrea Bocelli's U.S. tour this December. I'm sure you realize the significance of someone debuting in front of a crowd that could be upwards of 20,000 people. It's an incredible feat. One of the really beautiful things that Bocelli has done for other artists is brought them on tour with him which gives them enormous levels of recognition they might not get otherwise, simply because of the vast amount of people that crowd into these stadiums to hear him sing. Ayana, who joins me today in the Classical Post studio, finds herself with that exciting opportunity, on stage with Bocelli, making a very important splash in New York's iconic venue, Madison Square Garden. I personally find her artistry so vibrant, exuding a light that is just exciting to be around. We discuss her musical origins that are very much grounded in numerous genres, coupled with her education as being a seriously trained classical musician at Manhattan School of Music, and producing a sound that is uniquely hers, flavored with alternative R&B. This sound world is particularly evident on a new single called Flow My Tears, recently arranged by John Aram, but originally the music was written by John Dowland in 1596. Yes, you heard that correctly. It's over 400 years old. Ayana brings to life Mr. Aram's arrangement of an atmospheric, beat-driven ancient song now built for streaming online. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ayana and that it inspires you to explore this artist who will certainly light up Madison Square Garden this month. This is the Classical Post podcast, exploring the intersection of classical music, style, and wellness. We dive into meaningful conversations with leading artists from an array of different backgrounds. Based in New York City, Classical Post is a touchpoint for tastemakers. I'm Jonathan Eifert. Let's get into it. I think success for me is having a vision for myself and knowing each day that I am moving towards that space so that I am making progress that I'm developing and that I'm enjoying the journey that I want to wake up and feel like real appreciation for what I'm doing on any given day and feeling like that thing is not only fulfilling myself but my audience or the people I'm collaborating with so success is a sense of fulfillment on multiple levels it, that can be materially that can be spiritually but it's a deep sense of fulfillment I guess the roots of my journey as as a musician start in terms of learning instruments start with the piano and my classical training growing up and then later the cello and finding my voice third in that lineup of instruments but it was everything from Vivaldi to Bach, Mozart, Nina Simone, Steely Dan, Sting, Stravinsky, Anita Baker, Salt and Pepper, just like loads of different styles, Stevie Wonder, pretty much just simultaneously. <laughs> I'd be listening to something with my friends or with my family, or it just was always a melting pot of influences. So that's what's reflected in my artistry now very much an eclectic mix but more to do with 
the stories I'm telling. So depending on the story, a, a particular genre might emerge more. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah, so like with Rise Up, the root of Rise Up was wanting to have my Jamaican heritage to celebrate that. So I've started with rhythm really that's found often in like dance hall music. So like that rhythm is the foundation for that song. And then the other elements of that kind of are amplified in the music. Or maybe it's Unconditionally, which is the last song on the album that I wrote for my mom when I came back from Cuba. So there's like a rumba clave that's going through that and all of the Latin arrangement and percussion, etc., emphasize that feel. So it's, yeah, different songs have different territories. It's interesting uh, because it, a lot of artists obviously do have that collection of experiences and, uh, and tastes that they source when they are creating. Tell me a little about taking those roots as a classical artist and then applying it to other genres. Can you speak to that? Yeah, it's more... I guess my engagement with classical music was always as a player, as an instrumentalist, and feeling an affinity to particular composers. For me, Debussy is pretty high up on, on my list of favourite composers. Debussy, Bach for sure, Stravinsky, Berio a bit later. So those sound worlds or sensibilities are a part of my kind of musical vocabulary. And I think this meeting of worlds happened because I studied composition at music college for undergrad and masters in New York. That uh, exploration of being a composer, what does it mean to create your own music, allowed me, especially because we were studying orchestration and in the world of writing for players, you know, who play primarily classically based instruments, it gave me a sense of understanding how to compose for particular instruments and then bring in all of those voices. The beginning of lockdown was a little scary because everything did disappear pretty much indefinitely from my diary and there were lots of gigs that I was looking forward to. But the gift, the first gift that came was an invitation from the Royal Albert Hall to do a concert from my house, live streamed through their website and to their audience, which was amazing. And it gave me a chance to just like pivot in those early stages and keep my artistry going through online concerts and live streams, etc. So that was like a half an hour special window into my home, into me and an acoustic set of songs that, that really meant a lot, especially at that moment in time. So that was a beautiful moment. And then a few months after that, the, the proms happened also at the Royal Albert Hall and they wanted me to host or co-host the opening nights. So it was, imagine like a massive... Um, venue like the Royal Albert Hall with no audience just just the orchestra and Beethoven's Eroica Symphony and the new work by a young composer called Hannah Kendall and it was just a very intimate and quite special um, night and just made me realize that humans will make music pandemic or not and we will um, find ways to make sure that other people can enjoy music and those two things gave me quite a lot of hope last year. 
Well, I resonate with that completely because there's that moment in time last year where I think people were thinking, wait, are we even going to have uh, concerts again? What is going to actually happen here? Because there was so yeah. much unknown for so long. Yeah, completely. And I think things are building back in a really healthy way, positive way, but it needs to remain sustainable because there is that sense that any moment the rug can be pulled out from under your feet and festivals cannot be up and running again. And it's all a little bit tentative, but things are moving forward in the best way they can right now. I wanted to talk about this album uh, that you recorded with John Aram's rearrangement of this. I believe it's John Dowland, right? Yes. Um, that is the original composer. And he wrote, what's the name of the art song again? It's called Flow My Tears. Flow My Tears by yeah. John Dowland. Yeah. And then John Aram is a, a modern day arranger composer, right? Yeah, trombonist as well. Trombonist, arranger, composer. Yeah. And he reimagined it and brought a really cool spirit, I think, to this old work. And then you were the singer on the album. So could you um, speak to that project? Yeah, it was a wonderful invitation. So John had seen me do an online concert <laughs> with the incredible Jason Rebello on piano and Tim Garland on saxophones. And he watched that online and reached out and said, oh, I'd love for you to lend your voice to this song that I've been reimagining. And I heard the early demo that he sent over and I thought, yes, I can add something to this. And um, not just with my voice, but also with my cello, um, who's called Ruben. And I said to him, give me a month or maybe not a month, a few weeks, maybe, and let me play around with some ideas. And it was usually I'm the one starting the creative process. So I love working the other way around, like trying to find my way into something that already existed. But how could I inject whatever flavor I had? And in terms of the cello that was coming through melodically and also rhythmically, I gave him two different types of texture to play with, which he did really well and my voice, I just allowed it to go on a journey and discover different colours and tell the story. And I think he's really made a wonderful kind of work, really. Can you speak to the, the backstory of Flow My Tears from when it was actually uh, originally written? Do you know much uh, about that at all? I just know that I think originally it was an instrumental and that the lyrics came afterwards and that it, it became one of his most recognized and well-known songs it was like a, a big hit for him back in the day I think he used to sign things off with John Dowland flow my tears or something so he he I think it's a work that he was very proud of which which is really lovely to hear that a composer in their own time kind of experienced that celebration and that success in the work that they've created yeah it's lasted <laughs> because i'm looking up here on wikipedia right now to make sure i have a date um for this what dallin lived from 1563 to 1626 that an idea or the inspiration that he had then is still being reimagined, is still bringing joy, is still finding a new voice 
now, hundreds of years later. Is this something that more art across the board should be reimagined, that we should take all that old music and reinterpret it? Or is this one of those things, no, it's like a, a cherry picking sort of thing, like only certain ones maybe should be retooled for today? I think it really is about what resonates with you because I do tend to reimagine works. I enjoy the songs that I bring into my set and do my own way, but that's only because I feel inspired by that particular um, piece of music. So it has to feel like it resonates with you in the first place. Otherwise, you're just trying to make something out of something that doesn't connect, which isn't maybe the, the most fun approach. So I would say if you come across something that sparks something in you, then let that be the thing that you want to explore. With Flow My Tears specifically, do you think that there is a modern day message, whether that's philosophical or social or whatever you want to say in terms of the message from the lyrics? I th I love that question. I think there are lots of ways to read it. I don't think there's a definitive way that the lyrics suggest you interpret the song. However, I take from it a mental well-being mental health strand which is allow yourself to to be who you are in any one moment allow yourself to feel accept yourself in this moment and and be okay with that because things come and things go and nothing lasts forever so allow yourself to ride the wave of life <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Classical Post podcast. Explore more insightful content on our website at classicalpost.com, where we share original perspectives, listening guides to new recordings, and conversations with the leading artists. Stay abreast of classical music, style, and wellness by signing up for our monthly briefing, delivered directly to your inbox. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Eifert. Thanks for listening.